0: Amen. Let us turn now, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. We are going to continue our slow movement through this book of Paul in Ephesians. I would like to read for us, please, uh, from verse 11 through 16. And our sermon text is verse 15 but it gives us context. Ephesians two eleven, the word of the Lord. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Since the reading of God's holy word, let us pray. O Lord, may the meditations of our hearts, the words of my mouth, be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. You've given us this word, and we're very, very grateful. Now help us to understand it and live according to it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as mentioned, we are going slowly through this book of Ephesians. Uh, In part, we're going slowly, uh, in large part, really, because there's just so much here. uh, And it is uh, a very rich book, and we're in a very rich section. Um, In a few weeks, I'm actually going to do two verses, so don't be shocked, but... This, now, we are just doing verse 15. Now, as you saw and we read in the context, Paul has asked us to look into our past, verses 11 and 12, um, something that he doesn't normally do, but here it's important so that you would know that the work that God has begun in you, uh, him pouring out his Spirit on us Gentiles, which is a new thing in Paul's day, is not some sort of ad hoc divine uh, act that he really hadn't thought about but did uh, out of the blue, as it were, had done unexpectedly and uh, is something that he just came up with uh, offhand, but rather it was something from all eternity that he had planned. He'd been working for this point uh, in human history, uh, when Christ came. This, this was the culmination of all the ages, The really the center of human history to that point, uh, which will be concluded at the coming of Christ, the second coming. Uh, but until then, this is the real pinnacle uh, act of God in human history, and we're a part of it. We here on the other side of the earth, from where Paul is writing, uh, we are a part of that as well because of the ramifications of this right here. And of course, every nation under the sun has been granted access to the Father in Christ Jesus. There's no distinction anymore. Uh, now, uh, Paul expresses this in verses 13 and following with this business of Christ has pe- brought people who are far off near uh, and then he had stated things like we were without God, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, the covenants of promise. Uh, but now in Christ Jesus, we have been, uh, there has been peace made. And we looked at this uh, uh, two weeks ago, verse 14, that the peace here is particularly the peace between Jew and Gentile. Two weeks or last week. Uh, this is the uh peace between really warring factions. And I made uh, some reser- I made, read some authors on this where there really was a lot of suspicion in the Gentile world against the Jewish people uh, and vice versa. And we, we saw that when we looked at verse 14. But now there has been peace made uh, between the two warring factions of Jews and Gentiles. Uh, but in verse 15... Paul is going to add something here, uh, somewhat surprising, interestingly, but it's somewhat surprising uh, in how Christ has brought about this peace. So that's really what we're looking at, is how did Christ accomplish peace between Jew and Gentile? Um, And one thing to keep in mind here is the things he could have said he could have said, well, he basically has destroyed Israel. He has uh, no longer regards them as his people, uh, and he has rejected them finally and ultimately so that they no longer have any place in his redemptive plan. He could have said that, but he did not, which is quite notable. Instead, uh, he has taken his ancient people uh, who uh, came from these great saints of old that we look to as these marvelous, uh, strong believers like Abraham and Sarah and their progeny. Uh, this is, this is uh, the people we look to for, uh, as models of our faith as well, and he hasn't destroyed their heritage but instead he he broke down the division between them and us so that we may all together, both groups, be one. So he didn't destroy them. He merged us with them. In uh, Romans, he talks about taking the wild limbs, Gentiles, the wild limbs and grafting it onto the trunk of Israel. So, uh, he didn't say that, you know, he, and it's not true, God did not destroy uh, Israel. He, and Paul, you know, points to himself as an example of that. There is this remnant that God has been merciful for. And who knows, there may be a continuing remnant through this age, God willing, uh, many Jews coming to Christ as well, along with Gentiles. Uh, but here, he does say in verse 15 how it is that he accomplished this unity. And the uh, thing he states is really building off of verse 14 that I want you to keep in mind. He tore down the wall. This dividing wall has been destroyed. There is no more barrier. Uh, And in verse 15... He adds to that by saying, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, there is, first of all, a way that we uh, distinguish different elements of the old covenant law. There is the moral, uh, civil, and ceremonial. Those are the three main uh, terms we use for distinguishing aspects of the law. This is actually in our confession as well. Uh, so this is an old, uh, uh, helpful distinction in thinking about the law. So in this case, you would say, well, he has really done away with the ceremonial law. But I don't find that to be particularly helpful in the sense of that term ceremonial makes it sound like we no longer have any ceremonies, so we're fine. You know? <laughs> this is not what he's talking about. Ceremonial law doesn't mean that. I think it's best to see within the law, you could say he tore down the separation laws, the laws that divided Israel from their neighbors, from the nations. And uh, there are a couple of things here which are abiding, well, one in particular which is abiding, But within that, uh, he has also destroyed certain uh, aspects of the law by by annulling them. Now, let me me tell you what that is by reading some long passages to you, okay? So I'm sorry I'll be reading a lot, but I want you to, to hear how much this idea of separating Israel from the Gentiles is built into the law. And this is what Paul is talking about, that is no longer valid. Christ has invalidated these laws. So Leviticus 20, verses 22 to 26. Leviticus 20, 22 to 26. Reading the word. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out, You shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you, for they did all those things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, and the unclean bird from the clean, you shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. You can hear the word separation you know, repeatedly in that passage. Now let me give you another one. I only have this one and one more. Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 through 6, and I'm going to skip a couple of verses. Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 6. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, you shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars, and dash in pieces their pillars, and chop down their asherim, and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Uh, I'll have a comment on that in a moment. But finally, we're going to finish with Deuteronomy 22, 9 through 11. You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited, the crop that you have sown and the yield of the vineyard. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. So, This is how far-reaching the idea of separation and purity was built into the Mosaic law, down to the clothing they could wear and the material you can make clothing in. Notice that the Lord didn't say, you can't make clothing out of linen. You can. He didn't say, you can't make clothing out of wool. You can. Just not both mixed together because then you don't preserve the separation that he is building into the law that really starts at that Leviticus passage. You are to keep yourself separate from the nations. You are my treasured possession. I have separated you, so don't intermingle with them, and particularly in marriage. Now, brothers and sisters, when we look at the law of the Lord, there's a very important principle that we employ even with these separation commandments. And that is the principle of general equity. General equity means we look at the law and see that there is an underlying principle that does have validity from one generation to the next, from Old Testament into New Testament. And we saw that in that second passage. You shall not give your daughters to those young men of the nations around you because they would be taken off into idolatry and that abides still. This is picked up in the new Testament with you will not be unequally yoked by marrying an unbeliever. So that part is true today. That is still the law of the Lord to us today to marry within the faith. Uh, There's no exception to that. I, you know, Okay, I'm not, I'm not preaching on that, but that's that's a worth pointing out that when we're talking about separation commandments that Christ is annulled, he has not annulled the general equity of the law. That still abides. But the specifics found in that Deuteronomy passage uh, were things like uh, you will not uh, plant two kinds of crops in the same place, uh, you will keep yourself separated from the Gentiles. Now, brothers and sisters, this is what the early church struggled with in the very beginning. The Jewish believers in Christ struggled with this notion because it was built into everything they knew about the Lord so that in the first presbytery meeting, it was really a general assembly meeting, I'm, I'm not kidding, I mean, it is it is where we derive this principle, and it's the, it's basically the same thing in Acts 15, and it was all about Gentiles being included. Do Gentiles have to become Jews to be saved? And the answer was, no, they don't, because it involves circumcision, and it, it involved essentially, brothers and sisters, changing your passport. You would have to change your nation, your national identity would have to change. You'd be an Israelite. You would no longer be a citizen of whatever place you came from. That's what conversion meant during that time. And the the apostles under the inspiration of the Spirit saw, no, the dividing wall has been broken down, and Christ has destroyed those commandments which separated Israel from the nations. What's the evidence of that? Well, you can simply read the uh, chapters leading up to Acts 15 and see through the Holy Spirit, he was demonstrating his acceptance of Gentiles without being circumcised. Uh, And they had uh, been brought into the same faith that the Jewish believers had believed to begin with. And this is the means that Christ has used to bring the two people into one. He did not destroy Israel, but he broke down the barrier between Israel and the Gentiles and made peace between us. So that now, when you look at that statement from Deuteronomy 7, and this is one of the main reasons I read that, Deuteronomy 7 verse 16, you are my treasured possession on all the earth. Well, where did that Does that ring a bell from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14? Uh, You, brothers and sisters, are the treasured possession of the Lord in the church, Jew and Gentile together, for there's no distinction anymore. We are together, as the people of Christ, his treasured possession. That's what Paul says in that chapter 1 of of Ephesians. Uh, And so now the language of how God regarded Israel is used of the church, Jew and Gentile together in one. Uh, And it's not accidental that Paul uses that terminology of us in the church. He sees the dividing wall has been broken down. All of Christ's people are part of this new makeup of a treasured possession for God. And uh, the outcome here in verse 15 the means was by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, let me just make this you know, perfectly explicit. Christ has annulled those laws of separation. You may now wear blended garments, and you can eat bacon-wrapped shrimp without violating the law of the Lord. That's, just, that's what we're talking about here. Uh, Those separation commandments are no longer valid. They have been annulled by Christ because their purpose was to separate Israel from the Gentile nations. And that separation has been broken down by Christ. This is Paul's ministry. Uh, He was called by Christ to proclaim these truths. And this this is running throughout Ephesians. Uh, we've already seen it, but, you know, he wants us to be convinced of this. This is, this is a new work in the history of the human race, the history of redemption. Uh, now there's no distinction between peoples, but we may all freely come to God in Christ Jesus. We are no longer, just by being Gentiles, separated from the covenants of promise. We can be integrated into them freely. Uh, and there's no distinction anymore between Jew and Greek or anybody else. And that's, that's Paul's uh, teaching here. But now we see the outcome of this in verse 15, which is actually far more f- uh, far-reaching and profound uh, than I can, frankly, uh, do justice to. But notice how he expresses this. So first of all, the means. by abol- I'm reading verse 15 by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That, now here's the the result. By abolishing those laws, he accomplishes this as a result. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Now, brothers and sisters, there's two words there that you may not miss. Create. He doesn't say make one new man, but create. This is a new work of creation. He has created a new human race out of the two into one. So in Christ Jesus, he is, and he's actually told us this essentially in chapter 1, he's headed up everything in him. He's the head of a new human race. As Adam was the head of the old human race, Christ Jesus is the head of a new human race. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 15, he calls him the last Adam. Christ Jesus is the last Adam. There's a first Adam and the last Adam, Christ Jesus. And he's the foundation of a new creation. And you're a part of that. So he has created us. And this is is why you have such a prominent working of the Holy Spirit in New Testament uh, revelation at the beginning. He's demonstrating new creational power. Just as the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters in Genesis 1, so now he hovers over us to recreate the human race out of these two into one. And he's formed these two into one man. Now, I'm reading the English Standard Version, and it says that, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. He's not talking about an individual. He's talking about the human race in the terms of Genesis 1. And he created him, man, Male and female, he created them. (laughs) This is what he's talking about. It's that terminology. He's made man male and female. And if you want to see this, then you go to Genesis chapter, I beg your pardon, Galatians chapter three, in Christ Jesus, there's no more male or female. And this is in this sense. We are all male and female, part of this one new man, this one new human race. You could say humanity. I don't have a problem with that, even though in, in my generation humanity meant something like uh, compassionate care for people. You know, you have to show humanity toward those in need. So to me, it, it, it kind of sounds ethical rather than really ontological, if I can put it that, in that way. So Paul is using this in the sense of we're part of a new humanity, a new human race a new man, as it were, uh, in Christ Jesus. This is a new creation, and you are a part of it. This is a new creation that's not like the old. It's one where these former distinctions, they make no difference anymore. This is is a radical shift, and in chapter 4, he's going to come back to this. So when, you know, Eventually, we'll get to chapter 4 of Ephesians. So in chapter 4 of Ephesians, I'm going to come back to this, Lord willing, uh, and we're going to see what Paul does with this. And it's, it's more radical stuff with new creation that you're a part of. You've been caught up into this. You know, too often we think of the work of God as something very small working in my heart. The work of God that that Paul is talking about is something cosmic that you now are a part of. You're caught up into this. And you should keep seeking your life which is above. It's in heaven where Christ is. This is what you are a part of. You're part of a cosmic reshuffling of everything. And you have been, you're, you're really the centerpiece of this. You're the place where this, is a shining example for the world of peace between us and of God's uh, acceptance of people from everywhere with no distinction. And this this is the truth of the gospel that we live out, and we have to defend this. This is not a minor thing in our Christianity. This is a major thing, because here, peace among us uh, as individuals and as groups, this is, this is who we are now, as part of this being caught up into the new human race. And there's no distinction. There can be no distinction. Uh, I made the mistake this week, thinking I should be, you know, I should read things. <laughs> so I got on the Internet and I read things. And boy, was that disappointing. Interracial marriage. Somebody who is anonymous, by the way, I thought that was telling. Saying interracial interracial marriage is unbiblical. No. Any next question. <laughs> right there. No. There, it's that's just wrong. And this text does not support that in any way. The barriers have been broken down among us. We are part of a new human race. I want us to to demonstrate that. We have to demonstrate that. And our love will, you know, continue to demonstrate the unity. It's no accident that he goes on in chapter 4 to say, it's it's very interesting, Let let me point this out to you. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Chapter 4, verse 3. Maintain the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit has given us unity. We have to maintain it. We're not creating it. God has given it to us. This is a blessed privilege. It's a blessed truth. It's love being worked out in our midst isn't this marvelous that Christ had had us in mind to bring us all together into one new human race together with the love of Christ as our banner god bless you as you continue to live this out it's been a privilege you know you I, I hear these prayers for me and i'm i never respond because I'm embarrassed, but also I just think it's a privilege to be here among you, and I want that. I want so much for our congregation to continue in the love and unity you've demonstrated. It's been a real privilege, and it's not like I'm leaving or anything. I just I want you to know that I'm not here, you know speaking about this unity because I think there's any problem here, but I just want you to maintain this unity and see this as this is a banner for us. This is not a minor thing in our church. This is the word of God as it bears on uh, our community. And God bless us as we continue to walk in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace through Jesus Christ. God be praised. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, O Lord, our great God, for the love that you've demonstrated to us. We have a Savior who has done this great work, and we're the beneficiaries. We, we O Lord, we stand around and marvel at all that you've given us in Christ, how considerate you are, how gracious you've been to us, even to bring us into This unity into this peace that you have made. You've made peace, O Lord, and you brought us into your presence that we may have joy forever. Blessed be your most holy name. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the high heavenlies in Christ Jesus. To the glory of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen.